Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis, and the coronavirus is spreading throughout the United States. It's really caused a new way of life for many people as schools have closed and people work from home. And of course, it's creating um, a whole new world for um, our healthcare ecosystem. And um, to dig a little bit deeper, we wanted to look at how technology can help with virus containment in hospitals. And here to talk about that and, and, and other things is uh, Dave Rausch, um, an engineer and expert with more than two decades of experience in controls for healthcare facilities. So Dave, welcome. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. So let me start, Dave. What do you do? Well, basically, um, what I do is I'm a business development manager for, for Phoenix Controls. And we basically try to help hospitals and uh, critical environment types of uh, facilities. We try to help them, you know, maintain containment, isolation. And so you're taking a look out right now at the state of your 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 customers and and the hospitals and and healthcare facilities in which you you uh, service. What's your thoughts? What are you seeing? Well, right now, I mean, probably two weeks ago, we saw a much different uh, picture, right, than what we're seeing now. But uh, you know, there was a lot of hospitals that were you know seeing what was going on, you know, over in the Pacific and over in Europe and were really kind of looking at themselves in the mirror and doing their own kind of a risk assessment and wondering if they were ready, you know? And, and so we, we certainly had uh, an uptick in activity to kind of explore what can we do, you know? And, and it just, it, it goes back to, you know, when you look at the facilities today and how they try to maintain a, a high level of quality for their patients and, and the care that they provide. Sometimes the building doesn't really, um, you know, doesn't really get the attention, right? That it, that it always needs in order to accommodate that. So let's, let's kind of unwrap that a little bit, Dave. So a lot of media attention lately when it comes to uh, personal protection for our healthcare workers, which of course Honeywell is involved in as well, and you know how amount of hospital beds, et cetera. But you're you're really talking about the buildings and the facilities themselves in in protection. Tell me about that. What what can would be done when it comes to the facilities themselves and uh, and protection? Right. And and so you know within the facilities themselves, there's a lot of fantastic direction that's provided by the CDC, and and that's where everybody's kind of drawing from, if you will. Um, you know, to try to help get them prepared and things like that. And they do make that kind of simple. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, that facility itself has to, has to, you know, kind of look under the, you know, under the ceiling tiles and make sure that can we, can we really accommodate this? The staffing is doing their very best to try and keep their patients comfortable. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is a, a significant impact of, how comfortable they can keep a patient with the environment itself and, and where that patient actually lies. And, and this is not only for the patient, but this is also for the staff. This is for the, the public that's in the hospital and so on and so forth. Right. And so the environment itself is even prior to uh, COVID-19 um, you know, there was a lot of awareness starting and going around and looking at the environmental impact and how that, 
impacts the infection risk of, of many of these spaces. Explain to me then, what is the, what is the impact? So it, it all starts with good directional flow, right? And that, that is pure and simple. What CDC is trying to get across right now is that you need negative pressure, right? You need to keep any of that virus or bacteria away from, you know, pull it out of the room, pull it away from the staff, get it, you know, into a, um, into the atmosphere where it can affect the, the people inside the hospital, right? Isolate them. And, and that's what, that's, what's important. Right. And right now with how buildings are, are typically operating, that directional flow can very easily be compromised. As a result of the coronavirus uh, outbreak, has it changed how buildings or, or facilities have thought about that pressure and, and airflow? Is there differences based on this particular issue or capacities of hospitals? Certainly an event like this is going to bring it to the forefront of their attention, right? And, and sometimes that, that ends up being a little bit too late. Now, in the, in the aspect of, you know, you have a number of, of bodies that are going to need spaces, there's, there's procedures and tent communities and things like that that you can develop, but the existing hospital is where it all goes first, right? And there are some hospitals that that have have certainly put them in a position to be a little bit more ready, right, than others. Um, and again, that that could be, you know, contributed to a number of different reasons from either, you know, resources or funding and things of that nature. Not all hospitals are created equal by any means, but um, <clears throat> the the typical infrastructure is is can be um somewhat let's say a little um unforgiving right when when you try to put it into a mode like you need for the current situation um it it can really tax an existing system right and so if you have the good uh base infrastructure the building blocks in order to maintain directional flow and containment um, and that's and that's a technology that's been available for a long time. You know, it's something that they've been used in uh, research spaces, labs, pharmaceuticals. Um, all that is available, but it is a little bit more expensive than your standard um, design that you would typically see from a minimum code perspective. Okay, so if it's a technology that's available, is there a regulation that is uh, potentially something that because of this pandemic that we're having would kind of become common going forward? Yeah, I really, I really think there is. I, there's, there's not necessarily a regulation. There's a, there's a minimum code, right. That's required in order to maintain a specific, um, you know, uh, direction. Right. And, and that minimum code can be interpreted a number of different ways. Um, and there, it's not supposed to be that granular, right. But you're, you're still, they what the code wants to do is it wants to be able to allow for different options right you don't want to single in on one technology and monopolize if you will right so what they what they basically indicate is that again you have to have for an isolation space let's let's talk about that for an isolation space right now you need to have a negative pressure it has to be maintained consist constantly while occupied and it has to be in the uh, 12 air changes per hour. 
So what, what is an example of an isolation space? So an isolation space are basically um, spaces that you'll find in hospitals, and there's there's not many of them. Um, they they they're not exactly the highest percentage of of rooms in a hospital, but those are the spaces where if you have a pandemic situation or an infectious patient, that's where you put them in order to isolate them from, you know, the 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 corridor, the the public people in the in the hospital, so on, right. And, and so those are the spaces that are in high demand right now. And there are ways for hospitals to design in flexibilities, right, for them to be able to turn it on or turn it off when needed. But that requires a little bit more investment in the mechanical system in order to do that. And unfortunately, when you have a situation like what's going on right now, a lot of hospitals, I think, wish they had it. <laughs> right. So has there been research done on how negative air pressure and, and controlling airflow has contained contagious viruses like this? There, there certainly has been some research done. Like I said, prior, prior to even COVID-19, there's been a lot of research done on how the environment impacts infection risk. Right. That was that was something that we've seen an uptick in in the last five years. As far as the technology we're talking about, you know, with from from Phoenix is is the Venturi valve, and the Venturi valve, its mechanical system and the way it works is much different than a VAV box blade damper. the The big difference, right, between a VAV box, which is your typical unit that they use in order to control air in a hospital, they're very very inexpensive. It's a, just a, a basic um, box, sheet metal box with a damper in the middle of it. But what it does is it measures flow inside that ductwork in order to find its position, in order to try to manage the flow, right? But what happens is by doing that, they the box has a tendency to overshoot, undershoot, overshoot, undershoot, overshoot, undershoot until it actually finds its position. That can take time and that, that causes a lot of instability. And if you pair that with another device, on the exhaust side, you now have two independent devices kind of working against each other. And what ends up happening is it stratifies the air and you're really not able to purge the air in the number of air change rates that you really think you are, right? So that compared to the Venturi valve, the Venturi valve meters the flow. So when you want a particular amount of air, you go straight to a position and it'll get that air for you. But any of those pressure fluctuations that you're gonna see in the ductwork are basically absorbed and regulated and they're, they're stabilized, right? It compensates for that. So you get good stable directional flow and you maintain that direction with the supply tracking or the, tra- the exhaust tracking the supply and you maintain an offset all the time, right? So you're guaranteed direction. So little little in the weeds there a little bit, but but at the end of the day, it's a much more reliable source or reliable technology that, you know, again, maintains a space for these type of situations guaranteed all the time. Is there anything that we're doing now that is helpful? I mean, it, it seems like it could be difficult, but is there anything we could be doing right now or we are doing right now during the crisis itself to support yeah, there, there certainly is. Um, you know, we work through a, a manufacturer's um, 
uh, rep base, right? For there's a lot of training that has to go on for for critical spaces, right? Because there's usually a safety component involved and things like that. Um, and basically, what we're doing right now, just to start, is to you know get the awareness out there in a sense that there's a lot of consulting engineers out there who are very good at what they do, designing for um, hospitals and things like that, and just allowing them to remember, hey, look, this, this, there's technology out here that can really help during these type of situations. You may not have done it the first time, but they're certainly there to be, you know, can be used the second time. There's a lot of mechanical upgrades. There's a lot of infrastructure upgrades that are going on in hospitals, um, you know, to try to update them for the different demands that we're seeing in hospitals. Um, you know, the, the way, the way hospitals are distributing their care right now um, is significantly more performance-based than, than what it was in the past. That that is our first step, right? To to say, hey, look, you know, there's there's still still a technology out here that can really be helpful during this type of situation and can keep the staff and, and patients safe. Um, there, yeah, there's so there's you know, can we help out with some of these infrastructures that um, you know they're looking to create existing or, or more beds, like in some of the the hotels. Um, um, the Javits Center, you know, like you saw in New York, they're trying to create more beds as possible to try to get ahead of the demand. There's, there's certainly things we can do to help there as well. And Dave, if you're thinking ahead, because you, you talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, some of the technology has been in place for a while. It's just kind of been now applied in, in, in different uh, sectors. Um, if you look ahead in the next five, 10 years, where, where, what's next in, in this world, in this technology, in this space? When, when we look at ourselves, we certainly see that data is always readily available. You know, we get it at our fingertips at a moment's notice, right? And, and I think that's where we're starting to go with healthcare is, you know, these facilities are certainly advancing themselves from a medical standpoint, from a from a, a, a patient quality of care standpoint, but yet the facilities are a little bit behind. And I see the facilities taking another very big leap. And let, let's not, you know, let, I don't want to overuse the term as a smart building so much, right? But I do see a lot more monitoring coming on. I do see a lot more sensing coming on, analytics to help understand how the building is actually behaving, right? Um, and I think that is going to be tied into the critical care spaces pretty quickly. There's a there's a, a thought out there that, hey, if we can monitor the environment and we can trend that data, we can now correlate that to an infection risk, right? And you'd be able to provide that information to the hospital for them to make decisions about behaviors, quality processes. But what it does is it ties the environment to the clinician you know, uh, work daily routine. And that's what's important. I think in the, in the past, those, those two have been fairly divided between, you know, facility is the, the shell in which the patient is being taken care of. And then you have the clinician staff that tries to maintain a certain quality for the patient. Right. And, but now I see in the future, those two coming together, working together to reduce their infection risk based on environmental quality, based on data, based on the, um, you know, the, 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 the quality procedures that the patient care um, uh, clinicians give. As you know, Honeywell certainly has a, a, a play in, in, you know, smart buildings and connected buildings, et cetera. I got to think facilities like this, A, from a need uh, base, uh, this seems just 
an ideal place to do it. And, and B, in terms of what they're measuring, this seems so critical for, you know, what, what we're trying to do in, in, in buildings, you know, there's, you're, you're doing it for comfort and I guess some security, et cetera. This is, this is true healthcare and, um, and, and preserving lives. Yeah. At, at its core, it certainly is. It's something that you don't see. Right. And that's, and I think that's why we're making grand steps towards the next level because we're actually able to help the hospital visualize what the impact is. Cause you, you walk into, I, I guarantee you, you walk into a room in a hospital, you don't, you don't see that it's dirty. Right. These viruses and bacteria are so, so, so small. Right. But yet if based on activity, based on, um, you know, the, the certain, the, uh, the environmental parameters that go on in those spaces, um, they are dirty. Right. And you have to ensure that the, that good directional flow is going to take that, that dirty air out. And you can't always guarantee that today. All right. Well, Dave, for all our loyal listeners, they know that at the end, I ask the same three questions of my guests. First question, Dave, is when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> you know, uh, it, so it was a very close tie between a veterinarian and an architect. And I know those don't at all go together, but. <laughs> uh, second question. What is the piece of technology, and I'm going to exclude one, that you can't live without? And I'm excluding your phone, since that's the easiest one to say. So a piece of technology you could not live without. Oh, boy. Um, well, while you think about that one, let me ask you the, the third one. If you were to look right now at your email, how many unread emails are in your inbox? Oh, I'm a little OCD with that. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I've, I have to keep my emails pretty organized. If uh, I file away pretty quickly, um, if I was looking at it right now, and today was a pretty busy day, I probably have about ten. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is yeah, that I, is close to the record, Dave. I got to say, that's <laughs> impressive. I am tremendously impressed. Anything on that technology piece, or is it the phone? For me, I would say the you know, the wireless technology is, is that fair? Even though the, yeah. the phone might be, yeah, you know, yeah. I love one, you know, just like the, you talked about with the email, the OCD and me, right. I hate wires, right? I hate <laughs> wires, you know, so that technology is, is fantastic to me. If I could, if I could Bluetooth everything, I would, I would do it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Hey Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Learned a lot. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology.